Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune into their stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. I had the honor of being invited to Paragon City Games to film a vlog about their Heroes League Invitational Qualifier series. The players there love competitive magic. The store is super clean, open, friendly, and a great place to play magic. Their staff is super friendly and they have an amazing streaming setup to broadcast live feature matches. Talking about it doesn't do it justice, you'll have to go see the vlogs I made to know what I'm talking about. Just go to facebook.com slash paragoncitygames and click on videos. I made one each on standard, modern, and legacy. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. With fast shipping, the best card sleeves, deck boxes, binders, and all the modern, legacy, and commander staples you could ever want, Card Kingdom is there with the hookup. If you'd like to support the show, just use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. Order your Guilds of Ravnica singles and sealed product now. You know you want that sweet Assassin's Trophy action. Great removal is, well, great. Thank you for supporting the show when you shop at cardkingdom.com KTM. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. Joining me this episode is the multi-talented Ruben Bressler. He's a comedian, poker player, voice actor, and longtime Magic the Gathering content creator. He co-hosts the weekly news show Magic Mics with Evan Irwin and Aaron Campbell that sets the gold standard for happenings in the MTG community. Ruben is also the host of a new D&D show on Saving Throw titled The Broken Pact. It's the first D&D show crossing over into the Magic the Gathering multiverse set on the plane of Ravnica. Ruben gives us an exclusive first look into The Broken Pact. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ruben Bressler. Hi everyone, welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Today I'm here with everyone's Magic the Gathering friend, Ruben Bressler. Ruben, how's it going? Oh, that's the best intro ever. I love that. Hi, it's going great. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's season four of Kitchen Table Magic. Can you even believe that? That's amazing. I'm so excited to be on the show. This is like, you know, the the premier magic interview show at this point. And I, I'm just I'm pleased as punch that you think I'm worth talking to. <laughs> oh, those are very kind words. You are absolutely a wonderful person to talk to. And you know what? Speaking of magic content, I mean, you are one of the premier newsworthy talked about people. You talk about news, you talk about happenings, goings on. That's been really your wheelhouse for a lot of your magic content career. Yeah, uh, it started, I guess, with Magic the Newsening back when I was, uh, even before I was at SCG. Uh, but, even, but while I was at Star City Games, I worked as a sideline reporter, essentially. Uh, I've done WMCQs and other big tournaments like that. And, uh, and now I'm on the Magic Mics podcast, and we're sort of the premier news magazine show sort of like The View or The Talk or, or, or what have you, Meet the Press for Magic. Um, and yeah, that's sort of been my MO, I guess, is trying to break down the news of the day in Magic into bite-sized chunks rather than anything particularly competitive or particularly format-based, anything like that. Magic Mike's is my favorite place to get news. It's one of the few places that I listen to when I really want a strong and well-thought-of opinion. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But just like all things, we always start at the beginning. Ruben, can you tell us where you grew up and how do you found Magic? I was born in Washington, D.C., in a little place called Silver Spring, Ohio, just north of Washington, D.C., uh, but my dad, uh, his his job in D.C. kind of ended. I don't actually know the real history. He either got laid off or fired because that portion of the company downsized, and so we ended up moving to Columbus, Ohio, where my dad uh, is a research scientist to this day, and that was around when I was, oh, I don't know, 12 or 13 uh, uh, sorry, that that was second or third grade, not 12 or 13 years old. Um, and then a couple years later, a couple of friends of mine that I knew from Boy Scouts uh, named Chris and Alex, I was over at their house, you know, in the summer, you know, making bottle rockets and doing what kids do in the summer. And they pulled out a big box of things that seven or eight year old boys like, like mad magazines, action figures, the aforementioned bottle rockets and magic cards. And they just sat down and started playing magic. 
And I was immediately hooked. I was a big fan of, you know, all of that kind of fantasy genre kind of stuff. I'd grown up on, you know, my parents read me Lord of the Rings, plenty of fantasy and sci-fi in my backstory. And so it immediately attracted me to it. And that, and I was pretty much immediately hooked. I had my, I looked up where to buy cards. I went down to a place called Darts USA, uh, which was the card shop nearest me and was my home card shop all the way through high school. And, uh, and yeah, that was where my journey started. I, I became competitive very quickly. I, I built up the, the Blue Red Academy deck, uh, that was a big popular deck at that Pro Tour. Uh, with Wildfire and Tinker and all of those great things. Tinker wasn't nearly as good when all you could go get was a Phyrexian processor, but uh, it was still pretty powerful. And I started playing in JSS events um, when I was pretty young. I even top-aided a JSS when I was 14, which is still to this day, I think, my best magic finish was top-aiding that JSS. But yeah, and then so I played, I, I took breaks all the way through, you know, nobody ever really quits magic, right? And so I, I quit magic a couple times, but then always came crawling back after a while. Refound magic in college with a couple friends of mine, including one Mr. Nick Miller, who's currently uh, working at Star City Games, doing a job that I also did back in the day uh, as the sideline event reporter working from the sideboard. And Nick uh, was the one who actually stumbled upon a YouTube creator named Evan Irwin, who was uh, the first person that we could find to make Magic the Gathering content on this newfangled YouTube site. And he said, uh, hey, Evan says he's going away for a little while for a family vacation and is looking for someone to substitute on an episode. And Nick says to me, we're both, you know, well-spoken English majors. We're both really interested and smart folks at Magic. We both do a lot of stuff with uh, 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 competitive magic. And he said to me, and you're a film guy, you have a camera, let's record something. And so that's how we recorded episode 49 of The Magic Show, which was uh, right before Future Sight came out, which gives you a little bit of a frame of reference as to how long ago that was. And that was my introduction to magic content. And from that point on, I was already a film major. I was already in script writing in English. That was a confluence of all of the things that I liked. That is so cool. And right around the same time, I was uh, me, Nick, and a couple of other folks were all uh, online poker players. My parents thought that I might have been dealing drugs at one point during my college <laughs> career. They, they were like, Ruben, are you dealing drugs? We just want to know because you've never asked us for money. And I was basically like, no, I'm just playing poker. And they were like, I'm not sure that's better but okay. Um, and we uh, played poker that whole time as well. I picked up poker right before college, right before the what we call the poker boom happened in 2004, 2005. Uh, and so that was another piece of my education in competitive card games. And so I've been playing poker and been playing magic alongside uh, all of that ever since. That is so cool. You have such a wonderful history when it comes to the Magic community. You talked about the Junior Super Series, the JSS. Uh, yeah. So many of the top pros and Hall of Famers cut their teeth on the JSS. Yeah, absolutely. And and designers, too. Uh, that's I think that that's the first place I met Gavin Verhey. And of course, Pro Tour champion Ari Lax was big on that scene as well. Um, a bunch of the folks from from the from the JSS are, are I met for the first time there. And a lot of those players also had gone on to play poker as well. I mean, I remember Absolutely. interviewing Adam Yurchek, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm big on the Junior Super Series," and he's also mm -hmm. a professional poker player. Adam and I and uh, a man named John Swearingen uh, used to drive to PTQs together because uh, Adam went to college at Ohio State, and I grew up in Columbus. And so we would travel to all those Midwest PTQs together. I've known Adam forever. That is so cool. What a cool piece of history. And of course, you were super competitive. And so you're on that scene. And then also you using your um, understanding of film and writing and how to tell a story and how to craft a story. You got connected through Evan Irwin. Of course, we know, you know the creator of yeah. Magic Bikes and the, the Mr. Orange, the magic show. I mean, that's, yeah, that's so Evan, cool. Evan was the first, Evan was really the first and to this day, biggest proponent of putting Ruben Bressler in front of a camera. Uh, and deciding that I was someone worth propping up. He, he, uh, you know, obviously saw that video, stayed in contact with me, offered me my, my first job out of college, honestly, was that Star City Games job. I mean, I had a couple of other gigs here and there, but that was really my, my big break, I guess. 
And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be nearly as, as, as famous and big in the magic community as I am now, even if I wasn't there. To this day, people come up to me and ask me if the newsning is coming back. Is the newsning coming back? Um, <laughs> and I haven't do, done a new episode of that in five years. And so, that, that always bring, warms my heart. When I interviewed Erin Campbell and she was like, you know, I got the call for, from Evan about Magic Mics, she was just so excited and so honored as well. What was it like when Evan called you up about Magic Mics? The first time Evan contacted me and said, hey, Ruben, do you want to do a podcast? Uh, I said no. Um, <laughs> because Evan was my boss at Star City Games and Evan fired me. Now I know that there was a lot more going on and we're cool now, but you know, I was not, I was still not pleased. Like I didn't know who to trust. At first I was like, ah, that's not exactly a thing I'm interested in doing. This is not a relationship that I'm not sure I want to, that I'm sure I want to cultivate anymore. But then I just, I, I looked on, looked back on it and thought about it some more. And you know, it was all water under the bridge at that point. It was just me being, you know, mentally petty, I guess. Uh, and so then Evan asked again, and I said, you know what, let's give it a shot. Who who should we get for our third? And we had a couple of ideas, but Aaron was really the one who, who meshed the best with us. And, and, you know, to this day, I think that the reason why the show works as well as it does is because of our three, you know, really well-spoken, but three very different voices on Magic Mike's. Yes, it is very, very different. Everyone has their own style. Everyone has their own things that they want to yeah. die on a hill for. <laughs> and yeah. it's just that dichotomy and that diversity of the way each of the three of you Magic players think about the game and also certain issues. Uh, it's very refreshing. I also love that there's also a consistency in terms of values. It's not like one of you is always just like the idiot troll. No, if there are certain things when all three of you are like, nope, that that should not go, or yeah. we're all really excited for this. But uh, the way the way that the three of you argue and banter back and forth is just delightful. Yeah, it, it's really fun when we disagree because we all know that we love each other, so we can call each other names and be mad at each other in the moment. Um, and we all also have good reasons for our various arguments. So when we disagree, it's always really fun and interesting digging into why we disagree on little tiny issues or, or, or even big issues within the magic community. Um, and so those are always a ton of fun. And listeners, if you haven't heard about Magic Mics, it's definitely being streamed on Twitch at Magic Mics. They do a weekly show. It's also on YouTube on Evan Irwin's what I think it's the Mr. Orange YouTube channel. Yeah. If you look up Mr. Orange on YouTube, uh, you, you will not be clicking on the angry, annoying orange uh, viral video from the beginning of the internet. Instead, you'll be looking for the guy who makes magic content. And those go up every, oh, I don't know, right, pretty, maybe 24 hours after the live shows on Wednesday nights. Uh, those are live Wednesday nights at 11 p.m. Uh, Eastern and 8 p.m. Pacific. Um, and we do lo that those live. We also do a Top Tens series. Um, which typically goes up on Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe Thursday. Uh, and th all of that content is also available at Cool Stuff Inc. And of course, there's also a Patreon, patreon.com slash magic mics, which I will include links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. And the reason why I also mentioned the Patreon very quickly is because if you like the not safe for work version where yeah. patrons get to hear you guys swear. That's really been the, the su most surprising thing to me is how much people just really like listening to the three of us curse and also <laughs> tell NSFW stories and get to see the sausage being made. Uh, the $5 level for magic mics is that you get to watch our hour-long pre-show every week you know you guys tune in at 11 eastern but we start at 10 eastern and for you know five bucks a month a dollar 25 a week you get to hear us make the show what's really cool about your history ruben is that you have always been kind of in the forefront of magic content news and really thinking about new media thinking about how to communicate with an audience how to communicate with a growing community i think that magic um, you know, especially because you were talking about how you've been around magic for, you know, like two decades or, you know, something, some 15 yeah. to 20 years. And you came up with people like Gavin Verhey and doing very early magic content, you know, seven, five, six, seven years ago. You really have an understanding of how the community has changed. You also.
also have an understanding about where magic media and where magic content is going. I think so much of our discussion today is centered around what is magic coverage going to be like? What is the pro tour for? What are GPs going to be like? Grand Prix? Is this a convention? Do we just go to try to get pro tour invites because of GPs? How does Wizards even get new users to play this game? Like, there's just so much discussion about the future of magic. What do you see, Ruben, as the future of magic content? Like, what do you think is missing right now? Well, first of all, thank you for that amazing compliment. I really appreciate that. Um, but I guess you're right. I mean, I've always sort of been doing new things and trying to blaze new trails. And that's why I guess I've carved out the niche that I have. I'm always in favor of focusing on the non-competitive side of things. Uh, you know, the newsening wasn't focused on the hyper-competitive folks, even though the pros really enjoy seeing themselves referenced in a comedy-style news show. Uh, Magic Mike's isn't focused entirely, you know, we don't even go over Grand Prix results most of the time, uh, but the pros that approach me appreciate that there is a show covering community issues like that. I think that the future is really catering to that audience, you know. So many uh, of the websites are, are, are hyper-focused on, here is the deck list that you need to win this this weekend. And there are people out there that cater to that audience and it's hyper successful. I mean, you look at Brian Gottlieb and Jerry Thompson's podcast and they are, you know, ga- going like gangbusters. They can't they can't keep it on the shelves for those guys. Uh, but that's not me, right? I got I got to figure out something cuz I'm not world class. I'm not Hall of Fame level. And so I got to figure out something else. So I'm going to use my wits and my charm and and uh, my looks for radio to make sure that I can carve out the niche for the future. And so for me, especially at live events, I think that there needs to be stuff catering to the folks who want to do stuff like it's a convention, who want to go to shows and see panels like they do at Grand Prix Las Vegas. There needs to be more of that. So, for example, I did um, a, a live play D&D game at Grand Prix Las Vegas that was flavored like it was in Dominaria. You know, I think more stuff like that needs to come along. Do more live podcasts. You did a live interview show at Vegas as well. I think that more events like that really speak to people. Yes, and listeners, we're talking about GP Vegas, and Ruben did a thing called Board the Weatherlight. Board yeah, the Weatherlight, and we've got all these like we have all these like cool people in the Magic community, and they all played a character, and it was like a D and D crossover, which is very very cool. And you know what's very interesting that you talked about, Ruben, is Magic started off as kind of a thing to do in between, like while waiting in line <laughs> in between yeah. different things, and then Magic turned into more of a sit down game, and Magic solidified itself and became super popular. Super viral very quickly, 1993, yeah. 1994, and quickly entrenched itself into a cultural juggernaut of the world of nerd culture, gaming culture, tabletop fantasy, strategy culture the best game ever made, the most complex, incredibly detailed. And and obviously, we're listening to this podcast and talking about this podcast right, right now because we're all Magic fans. And Magic went from a hobby to a lifestyle very, very quickly. And very much to what you were talking about, I see you as a person who thinks about how are we turning this lifestyle more into a media conversation, more into the mainstream, right? We all love like Star Wars and Marvel Comics and Game of Thrones and like The Walking Dead. And there's all these little franchises that just kind of pop up, even things like Rick and Morty, you know, they all have their fandoms. And this fandom is going through this resurgence right now. All of the most recent sets I thought have been really wonderful from an R&D standpoint. You know, obviously, oh, there's bannings or cardstock issues or whatever random things people want to complain about. But when you look at the flavor of what magic has become, magic gets better every single year in every single set, right? Regardless if you have to ban things or things don't work out or random standard rotations, whatever, again, whatever things you want to complain about. Magic as a game is getting better and better and more fun and more people are playing and there's more ways to goof off with it, either playing Brawl or Commander or Popper or whatever. And it's people like you, Ruben, and me and all the other parts of the magic community who are really vocal about building a community, we get together, we cosplay, we play the game competitively, we goof off making videos, we do gameplay videos, we do podcasts or YouTube, whatever. We have to make media to follow this lifestyle forward. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, you look back at where Marvel was in the mid 80s and they were 
close to bankruptcy. And today, they're the biggest media brand on the planet. They're building a new branch of Disneyland in their honor. You look at, you know, Star Wars in the 70s. It wasn't anything to be, you know, it wasn't anything special. And even, you know, after the prequels, it wasn't a, a particularly attractive brand. And now every Star Wars movie comes out and it's a blowout. And not to mention the fact that nerd culture hasn't been uh, anywhere uh, uh, near where it is right now ever before. You know, people aren't making 16 candles anymore. The jock and the good guy aren't the good guys anymore. It's the nerds. It's uh, every TV show is, is vampires and werewolves. Every movie is superheroes and supervillains. Every comic book, every graphic novel is space and sci-fi and fantasy. The It has never been cooler than to be a nerd right now. And you're going to have to look pretty hard to find something with more nerd cred than Magic the Gathering. It's a brand that can absolutely capitalize on all of that. Not to mention the fact that Magic the Gathering itself has never been more popular. It doesn't matter whose numbers you look at. You look at the Hasbro quarterly reports. You look at the, the articles uh, in the New Yorker and other popular uh, websites like, uh, like The Atlantic have recently been talking about Magic. It's referenced in popular culture more and more. There was a Sunday morning comic strip just this just like last month that uh, that referenced magic and there have been you know references uh, here and there and everywhere uh, the rumor is that the creators of Stranger Things were originally going to use magic as their motif, not Dungeons and Dragons, until they realized that magic hadn't been invented yet in the time frame that they were making the show. And boy, would that have been a wave to try to catch. Yes. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it, the fact remains that it's popular now. Celebrities are talking about playing it and having had played it in the past. A-list folks all over the place. And so you can capitalize on that kind of momentum and create something interesting. It just needs to catch the right wave. All of the pieces are in place to be able to do it. Having the pieces does not a good recipe make. You need to put them together correctly. And so hopefully we'll be able to see that sometime in the near future. And you're right that folks like us, people who are active on social media, people who create the YouTube videos, who stream on Twitch, who create the live art, things like the artists themselves in Magic the Gathering and do doing those things and advertising themselves in that way. Also the cosplayers, also the fan artists, and also the fan fic creators, and those kind of people. All of it combines to create the groundswell to build up this game that we all love. And I think that it's never been more popular, and it's not slowing down anytime soon. I remember Wedge from the Mana Source uh, a while ago tweeting a screenshot of Silicon Valley. There was like a shot, and on the desk behind it, there yep. was a Mana Flip deck box, and we were like, I I want to know what deck is in there. And it's so interesting because Guilds of Ravnica is out now and we are talking about guilds and color combinations. It's always like a personality litmus test about kind of who you are and what's your style of play, but also yeah. asking someone, hey, what deck do you play? That also speaks volumes about that person. And, <laughs> you know, having a game that's been around for 25 years, you know, we're celebrating Magic 25 this year, right now, 2018, and you look at how much it's been so entrenched into the fabric of our culture that I feel that one of the reasons why magic is having this cultural resurgence right now is because everyone who played magic as kind of a misfit back in the day, we've yeah. all grown up and we're all now decision makers and we all now have the time and the money mm -hmm. and the resources to really that's like, exactly right. Really pay magic this homage of just like all of our heart and soul and how much we love doing it. You know, I know MTG Finance gets like a really bad rap, but like really like top level, uh, you know, MTG Finance and vintage magic collectors like Daniel Chang of Vintage Magic. You've got Rudy of Alpha Investments. You've got Open Boosters and Edwin, the magic engineer and Tavis. Uh, you know, he really deals with oddities and things. And they're talking about all these really interesting topics related to collecting old school magic. And it's because they've all talked about they love what these super rarefied artifacts have been simply because back in the day, that's what they enjoyed when they were kids. And that's right. what they enjoyed in their youth. And being able to interact with these artifacts and to preserve these artifacts of history is really allowing them to have a power walk down memory lane. And so, like, even the, like you said, like, oh, there's a ton of A-list celebrities that play magic. It's like every single time I go to a GP and I'm in the taxi or the Uber or the Lyft or whatever, and they're like, mm -hmm. what are you in town for? And it's like, oh, this game, Magic the Gathering. And they're like, oh, I think I played that as a as a kid, it's like 80% of everyone I've talked to 
have had an interaction with Magic the Gathering in some way, shape, and form. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and it's good for Wizards. It's good for Hasbro because we want them financially as a business to do well. And we want every product to do well. We want more and more players to enjoy and love the game. And I almost find it as kind of like a scary creator's dilemma. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to get back to work and make more videos and make more podcasts and make more content related to this. Because there's like this infinite hunger for Magic content right now. Yeah, absolutely. And for different types of magic content, you know, right now, I think that maybe it was Magic Man Sam who tweeted recently that there needs to be more post-produced kind of podcasts like this one. There just aren't as many, like, but I mean, even heavier than this, like Radio Lab style, like really, uh, uh, you know, Ted Radio Hour kind of stuff yep. that is... Um, that, that you just don't see. It's all stuff like what we do on, on Magic Mics, which is fine, but there is an untapped market there, um, which is also something I did with the newsening. You know, I think that there is, there's a dearth right now. Once Split Second with Jeremy Knoll went away, there's not really a news show. So, yeah. and I, and I, you know, I knew in creating the newsening that, th that the best way to get people to swallow the medicine of the news was the sweet candy coating of comedy. And so, uh, uh, that, that was the way that I did it, but certainly split second also worked in, in its own way. Um, and so there's plenty of avenues for, for new types of content out there. The problem is, as you well know, having an idea isn't the end step of things. It's the very beginning. Um, and so doing it is, is tough. But, uh, but I think it, the, the opportunity is out there. Yes. Listeners, if you don't know who the Magic Man Sam is, he has a YouTube channel called Ristic Studies. He does video essays that are very elegantly written and elegantly uh, crafted from a visual designs perspective. It's animated, and it just talks about a particular issue in Magic the Gathering, and it is super, super, super popular, so I highly invite you to check it out. And the Magic Man Sam tweeted that, you know, yeah, like that he really wants to see more of a, like you said, a post-produced thing, TED Radio Hour, Radio Lab, you know, something like Reply All or Gimlet Media, those incredibly story-driven, narrative-driven things. Uh, basically like an audio mini-documentary. Like mini-docs right. right now are have become like this really wonderful infotainment. You're learning something, it challenges a perspective, there's a lot of drama and emotion. Um, really not so much about hero, but really from the common man, from the, from the yeah. everyday person. I think that it's also very difficult to just produce those because they're very labor intensive and they're very much edited and there's they're very editorial lots of research has to go into those kinds of things and oftentimes creators we want to turn something on and we want to be able to produce something i think that's also kind of indicative of the the way the online media content cycle has become right with uh facebook news feeds and just the the YouTube culture, just what it really means to have a 24-hour news cycle. So much media right now is becoming disposable. And if you have not been living under a rock for the last 20 years and you know what the internet is, you also understand what the concept of evergreen content is, something that'll get a hit, you know, five years from now that's still relevant that people are going to share versus just creating something um, and that's only relevant for like a day and then, you know, who cares, right? When you think about creators and what their production process is going to have to be. It can't cost them time and effort and energy that like a month when people expect to have something every single week. And that was even one thing that the Magic Man Sand said that, you know, was a challenge. It's like, you know, people wait two weeks or sometimes one month for one of my videos. And so yeah. I've really got to make it good. And you look at someone like the professor of Tularean Community College, and he creates three to four videos a week, two to three videos a week. He feels guilty when he only creates one or two videos a week. Wedge is recovering from his surgery and he was out for a little bit. When he's back, he has a pace of like creating three to four videos a week. And that's incredibly challenging if you are trying to create, uh, you know, like a really well-researched, well-edited, narrative-driven audio piece or visual think piece, and then you have to do it every single week. It's very challenging when you're like a one-person show. You got the accordion and the harmonica <laughs> strapped to you. It's tough. Absolutely. I mean, I had just had this conversation recently with my Magic Mike's co-hosts about how it's not only the unblinking eye of the internet, it's also the constantly hungry stomach of the internet. 
um, where, you know, it's, it's, it just takes and takes and takes and eats and eats and eats, which is great. It never gets full. Uh, but, you know, you get tired after a while uh, as a content creator, certainly. And uh, it's, it's an intimidating place to be. The endless maw of the abyss of the tubes of cats and dogs and cute baby videos. Um, and it can be stressful and it can be, uh, it can be tough out there, but the rewards are also there. Um, and, and so I'm more on the front end of that journey as opposed to my co-hosts, Evan and Aaron, who have been there and done that on the internet for so long and have these successful, sh- multiple successful shows of their own making. Uh, meanwhile, I'm here thinking about launching my own Patreon to make my own content kind of stuff, which, you know, we'll see how that goes. But uh, but yeah, it's really interesting listening to people who are sort of, oh, back in my day, I remember being bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and wet behind the ears uh, creating content. But the good news for magic creators like us is that that audience, that specific audience where we're knowledgeable is certainly there and certainly uh, not only that, but also positive in terms of, uh, oh, thank goodness, this type of content content is there for us. You know, Ruben, something that you touched on that really got me thinking just now, magic is such a huge space. You can't know every format and every card and every metagame and every deck. That's just impossible. Even pros, they are masters at the limited format, they're masters in the standard format, and they really keep up with things. And they're also masters in the modern format when they need to be. And if there's like a team event, (laughs) then they just have to bring on someone who's a master at legacy. Whenever I'm at at a G I talk to people who like these huge tables of people playing EDH and commanders. It's like, I have no idea even 97% of all the commanders that are out there. I don't even know all yeah. the interactions. I, I cannot even fathom to kind of keep track of them, right? I play a lot of modern myself. I play a lot of modern Jun myself. I don't even know <laughs> the meta for the other decks. <laughs> so being able to create content competently in this ever expansive, ever hungry maw of internet media consumption, well, I can't be an expert at everything. <laughs> so what I think about these days is that like, what are the kind of collaborations that are going to be needed to be able to kind of create this kind of content competently? Because I just don't feel like one person going to be able to talk about it all. Absolutely not. I mean, the the number of things out there that are still available for people to do, you know, the pre-produced stuff, as we mentioned, there's so much space in podcasting. There's so much space in video. One person can only do so much. There's only so many hours in the day. And so finding your, this is what I tell people who come up to me and ask me, how do I get, how do I get started in magic content? You just have to find your niche and that can be tough, but you have to do what speaks to you as well. And so hopefully those two things overlap and almost always they end up doing so. Ruben, I wanted to transition into another topic because you are always on the bleeding edge of magic media and content. You have really been working on a new project recently, and it kind of segues also into your passion with D&D. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. Well, back to when uh, at the beginning of the show, when you asked me, uh, tell me about go start from the very beginning. I didn't actually start from the very beginning. I started at age 12 with magic, but Actually, I was introduced to D&D before that. My parents played in the same D&D group before they started dating. That's how far back in my history Dungeons and Dragons goes. Wow. And so they would put me to bed at, at 8 p.m. when I was four, five, six years old. And they, you know, once a week would play with their friends. And then I would invariably sneak down from my room and bother them for about an hour and play the shopkeep's assistant or the tavern owner's goblin, you know, uh, 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 waiter or the trading post's son or whatever. And then I would get tired once they started rolling dice and doing math things. Then I got bored. But that was really my introduce- in- introduction to D&D. I really got back into it in college. I had a really strong group of EDH and role-playing friends at Ohio University uh, at a store that was then called the Wizards Guild or the Universe of Superheroes, depending on which era of that company uh, was there. They really got me back into Dungeons & Dragons. And now there's been, a, a speaking of resurgences, Dungeons & Dragons has never been more popular than it has right now. Yeah. By a wide margin. And more important, more uh, bigger than that, the performance ele- element of Dungeons and Dragons and live action role play has never been more popular. And I think that's part of the resurgence of people wanting tactile things. Magic is vinyl in some ways. It's a it's a answer, it's a backlash against social media and online games exclusively where we're ever more connected but also ever more disconnected in the way that we're connected. Magic 
with the tactile feel, the snapping of the cards, and actually shaking your opponent's hand. Very similarly to Dungeons & Dragons, picking up the dice, sitting across the table, sharing a pizza. It's it's nerd poker night, is what it is, except for you don't have to lose your hat. You know, it's long-form interactive storytelling. It's not really a game so much. There's no winning at Dungeons & Dragons insofar as someone wins and someone loses. There's no losing in Dungeons & Dragons. There's only the decisions you make and whether you enjoy those decisions or not, and whether the fun at the table is had. And that's just that's just something about the new culture. P- young people like us are looking for different ways to entertain ourselves, rather than simply, you know, slot machines and angry birds. Particularly folks in their mid-20s to mid-30s, uh, in particular, are really looking at this new edge of type of entertainment, this long-form interactive storytelling. And I love telling stories. I went to school to major in telling stories. And I got sidetracked by poker because that was way easier to make money. It was much easier to make money being mediocre at poker than being good at telling stories. But I got burnt out on poker. And now it's time for me to tell stories. And I think that uh, I'm really excited for the next chapter of that. Could you tell us what this new show is? Uh, I'm so glad you asked. Well, <laughs> this this coming Saturday, October 13th at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, is going to be the premiere of Ravnica, The Broken Pact, which is uh, using a book from Dungeons & Dragons called The Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. This is the first of its kind, the sort of crossing of the streams between Wizards of the Coast's major properties, Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and & Dragons, fused together in this book of how to play D&D in the world of Ravnica. It's a rule book. It's a setting book. It's a collaboration the likes of which has not been done yet. And I'm really excited to be the official show uh, of that. That'll be available on twitch.tv slash dnd. That's the three letters dnd this weekend is the premiere. And we're going to do a whole first season and hopefully more seasons after that. And it's going to be uh, give you a little bit of the flavor of what's what this is going to feel like to folks. If you've been playing Guilds of Ravnica, you know that there's a strong uh, film noir kind of hard-boiled fiction feel to the storyline, and that's something that I really uh, like and appreciate. I enjoy the sepia tone, L.A. Confidential, smoky back rooms, and interesting intrigue, uh, uh, whodunit style feel of those old noir flicks and, and novels, and uh, I'm, I was really attracted to that. And so I've definitely incorporated a lot of that feeling. Now, it's not going to be quite as dour as most <laughs> as most uh, <laughs> noir is, but it's not going to be as lighthearted as noir film as notable noir film Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But you might ref- you know recognize some similar tropes and and you know street lamps and fog and all that kind of good stuff because Ravnica is such a flavorful and full place for that. And so I'm really excited to get that story started with with my friends this weekend, who, by the way, are uh, some names you might recognize, particularly Ashlyn Rose, who is a popular cosplayer within the magic community. She's also a voice actress and member of the Viper Brood. She's a magic streamer. The other cast members are two members of the Saving Throw Show team, which is, uh, uh, we are actually filming at Saving Throw Show Studios here in Los Angeles. Jordan Pridgen and Gaurav Galati, who are writers and performers and comedians and filmmakers and magic players in their own right. And then the last cast member is Riley Silverman, who's a, a comedian and a writer well-known for uh, traveling around the country doing stand-up comedy. She's also a writer for Sci-Fi Fangirls, uh, does lots of stuff. Uh, she's uh, the host of International Waters on Maximum Fun Network. And so we, I think we have a really just great team to be able to tell this story, and I'm really excited for it. When you were diving into it to create this story, what were some things that you noticed as a D&D player and also as a longtime Magic player? To give you a little bit of background, I've been working on a D&D Magic crossover show before I even knew that Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica was going to be a thing. Before I was working with Wizards of the Coast, I'd been working on something, anything, for the last almost two years. That's so cool. Trying to put a show together of one kind or another. And originally, the original form that it took was a Skype show. I had, I had uh, uh, approached some of my 
favorite magic personalities that I knew played D&D, primarily Jeremy Knoll, uh, but some other folks in the, in the magic and D&D community. But unfortunately, that project sort of fell apart. We, you know, too many schedules didn't, didn't mesh and too much uh, wasn't going to work. So I gave up on that. But at that point, I had already had some talks with Saving Throw Show, said, you know what, I'm moving to LA, let's put something together. And then uh, Serendipity intervened and I got lucky and got paired up with uh, Magic the Gathering and they wanted to do something with me. And so, you know, I say I got lucky, but you got to be, you got to put yourself in the right position to get lucky. I know that from uh, from, from my years of poker. So uh, I'll take some of the credit for that. Um, but I'm just so happy that we finally come to this point, you know, looking at the world of Ravnica, you couldn't pick a better location, maybe Innistrad, maybe, but you couldn't pick a more flavorful, more resonant, more interesting world to put a Dungeons and Dragons crossover product than Ravnica. And I'm just, I'm just very excited. Now, Ravnica is basically like a fantasy super city. And so it's like the Coruscant of Game of Thrones, basically. <laughs> so if you... If I've been explaining it as um, gods of Egypt, but in 1800s Prague. <laughs> And so, so I mean, there's a lot of material to work with, right? And uh, for sure, so there's I mean, there's a lot of little things that I, like, like I'm always very curious about. It's just like, do people in different guilds marry each other? It's like, what happens if you go to a restaurant in another guild? Are they going to serve you food that's weird? <laughs> it's right. like, how badly can you get totally lost? And so, in this Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, do you get some, I guess, at least rules or templates or do's and don'ts? Do they shake their finger at you? Please don't do this. Yeah, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of explanation of the culture and the laws uh, and and the various rules and how all the guilds work and how guild relations work and plenty of that. So I'm not too worried about how the rules interact with it. It's just uh, it is a lot is the thing. Ravnica is a very full and lush environment with six, seven sets of, in soon to be eight sets of history and intrigue, not to mention novels and short stories. And, you know, using all of that provenance, being the show that is the official product of this book, um, or, or that we are the show that is promoting this official product that is this book, uh, it's a little intimidating, um, particularly because we have access to the material before the general public. Um, you know, the, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica comes out in local game stores November 9th um, and available online at your major retailers on November 20th, but our show is starting October 13th, so obviously we got to look at it uh, a little bit ahead of time. And so, uh, we, we, you know, it's very, it's, it's very, uh, nerve wracking being the steward of something so big, but I think we're up to the task. Anything, little tidbits that you can tell us about what to expect, or we're just going to have to tune in. I'll, I'll give you this. If you look at the form of a noir story, a general noir story, typically there are four main characters. And it just so happens I happen to have four cast members on my show. In a typical noir story, you've got two men, main characters, and two women, main characters. And it just so happens that the cast of Ravnica the Broken Pact has two men and two women on it. Boy, that's lucky. And what a coincidence that is. <laughs> those characters, for those of you who are interested, the women tend to be the girl next door, the ingenue, the woman who is looking for help. And then there's the femme fatale, who we meet later on in the story and is, has a little bit of mystery and intrigue. Then on the men's side of things, there tends to be the guy who's trying to make good, maybe a former cop or a detective or a, a, a current cop or something or someone in the military who's got a little bit of a dark past, but he's trying to better himself. And then you've got the criminal, the guy you meet later on and a little bit of the underbelly. He's got those connections. Um, and so I would keep an eye out for that style of care, those styles of characters and that style of story, especially early on. I don't want to give too much away. I think that you guys, you've seen enough noirs that I think that you'll catch on quick. I love it. More coming from Ruben coming right up. But first, a quick break from our sponsors. Ruben, you have a very special Patreon supporters gift for us. Could you tell us what it is? Absolutely. So I'm going to be using magic names, particularly names resonant 
from Ravnica and Return to Ravnica blocks, and of course this Return uh, Guilds of Ravnica, as touchstones, as milestones in the show The Broken Pact. And I can think of no better way to kick that off than to kick things off with the name, really, of the first episode or of the first story arc of my show. Uh, not really a spoiler here, don't worry too much about it, um, but we're going to have, si- I'll be signing copies of Enemy of the Guild Pact, uh, which is a common from Dissension. It isn't particularly good, but has a really resonant name that matches up nicely with the story that, uh, that we're telling starting this weekend. That's very wonderful. It's very uh, kind of mysterious and flavorful as well. It's like, you know, we know the, the guild pact kind of keeps Ravnica together. And there's an enemy of the guild pact. Ooh, someone <laughs> someone is not very interested in kind of keeping things together. People want right. to mess things up. Well, if you know your if you know your Ravnica history, you know that the Guild Pact kind of fell apart, um, and that was the whole Dragon's Maze saga was putting the Guild Pact back together in the form of Jace Balaran. Um, and we'll be we'll be exploring the Guild Pact's relationship with the rest of Ravnica going forward. Wow, I love that. Well, so flavorful. So thank you so much, Ruben. I'm going to have a whole bunch of copies of Enemy of the Guild Pact to send to you that you will be signing, and we'll be giving them away to our Patreon supporters. So Thank you so much, Ruben. Absolutely. Thank you. It's a, that's a great idea. And I can't, I'm, I'm really pleased that I'll be able to do that for your listeners. Ruben's naming the first part of the Broken Pact, Enemy of the Guild Pact. And you can get a signed copy of Enemy of the Guild Pact from Ruben if you're a Patreon supporter of the show. Just go to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. A big thanks to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future, who are amazing people that always roll natural 20s when they really need to. Again, that's patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Thanks for your support. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Paragon City Games. I've been talking about Paragon City Games for some time now, and recently I've been invited to film three vlogs at their game store for their Heroes League Invitational series. It's a local tournament where the winners compete at a year-end Invitational. The player community there is wonderful, competitive, and fun. They have friendly staff that greet every single person that walks through the door. The store itself is huge, open, clean, bright, airy. There's beverages, snacks, clean restrooms, a fully loaded feature match area, and a high-tech streaming setup. The entire store is filled with huge open tables, enough to fit over 100 players. I played at an FNM there once, and there were four different formats going at the same time. They also have a huge selection of board games, magic singles, supplies, tokens, handcrafted wooden deck boxes, and artisanal diehard metal dice. If you want to see the vlogs I made for Paragon City Games, just go to facebook.com slash paragoncitygames and click on videos. I made three vlogs, one for each of their standard, modern, and legacy events. Paragon City Games has a commitment to legacy, and they're streaming legacy daily at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. If you're ever in Draper, Utah, go check them out. And if you love legacy, watch their Twitch stream, again, at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. They're a wonderful group of people, and I'm so grateful to have them as friends. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. In my experiences ordering things online, I always hope everything goes well. Like, will I get my package quickly? Will my order be correct? With so many business interactions being digitized and becoming less personal, we care more about receiving great customer service. And you're probably wondering, how do I find an online store that embodies all the qualities that we're looking for these days? I decided to read what people were saying online about Card Kingdom. Lost Jedi 2003 says, Card Kingdom, hey, I just got my orders. Love, love the speed and efficiency from you guys. Thank you very much. Twitter user Gold Convoy got a robot soldier token hand-drawn and included in their order. Huge thank you to Card Kingdom for the custom token. I asked for a mechanical robot soldier token and it's beyond what I could have imagined. Kitoshi got a fully colored rainbow chameleon token drawn. Brock Bro says, Thank you, Card Kingdom. Ordered Friday, received Monday. Fast shipping is no lie. Love the pull tab tape job on the case. 39 cards. Rich Baranek says, At CommandCast, you were right. Card Kingdom ships fast. Wasn't expecting to have this for another week or two. Also, no one mentioned the awesome care they take in packaging the cards. Even professional football player Cassius Marsh gets his hard-to-find foils from Card Kingdom. 
It seems the people have spoken. From fast shipping logistics to great customer service, card selection, and also the care their fulfillment takes when packaging each order, Card Kingdom goes above and beyond. I even purchase all of my Patreon supporters' gifts from Card Kingdom. So if you're looking to purchase Magic the Gathering singles and sealed products online, Card Kingdom has been trusted by Magic players around the world. You can also show support for Kitchen Table Magic when you use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. Again, that's cardkingdom.com KTM. Okay, everyone, and we are back. Ruben, I have some rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. Okay, here we go. Rapid-fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? Well, my favorite color to play of those has to be red. Red isn't... Red gets a bad rap from a lot of people. They think that it's all about fire and chaos, but it's also the color of creativity and innovation and passion and crafting. And that's who I am, is I'm a passionate, innovative crafter uh, and artist. And, you know, that, that's the perforos red is really what I identify with most. And if you could pair red with another color, a guild perhaps, what would, what would be your guild? Yeah, I, I like to think I'm Boros, but really all us entertainers are Rakdos. <laughs> we're, all, we're all circus people just trying to get by entertaining in any way, shape, or form that we possibly can. And I think that there's no better guild that better embodies my life as a, as a pretty chaotic but also pretty entertaining individual as one that welcomes everybody else to the circus. That's fascinating. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, Rakdos through and through. Rapid fire question number two. Ruben, if you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? So I've actually uh, used this in, I applied for the Great Designer Search 3, and while I didn't make it into the finals or anything, uh, there was a question on that, which is, if there's something that you could change, what would you do? And I'll use that answer here, which is, I want to change the maximum's hand size rule to 10 cards. Hmm. You still start with 7, but the maximum hand size is now 10. And the reason for this is that it sort of mitigates the feel bad of getting a little bit mana screwed. If you play your second land, don't hit your third and have to discard. Card, that's a little bit worse than missing your second land, but you don't have to discard. At least you get to keep eight, nine, maybe ten cards in your hand. And also you're not punished for drawing a whole bunch of extra cards off of things like Sphinx's Revelation. Um, I just think that adding that as the maximum hand size would add a lot of intrigue to the game. Hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. I like that. Interesting. Yeah. Anything to just kind of, you know, maybe blunt those kind of sour feelings of like, oh, I'm not drawing particularly well. That's That's never fun. Yeah. And you can still use stuff like Reliquary Tower to, you know, make you so that you have no hand size. But I think that making the maximum hand size 10 is about the right number. It's it's nice and flavorful. It's it's a resonant number. You know, every, everybody likes the number 10 when talking about things. And so that's a change I'd like to see. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Rapid fire question number three. Ruben, if you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Hmm. I hate... The high roll at the beginning of magic matches. I think that it is an awful way to start magic. And so I would give a randomization device of one kind or another to every magic player that wasn't a d20, that wasn't 2d6, that was something else that could randomly decide the beginning of the match. I don't know what that would be. I don't think that we want like a big heavy Super Bowl coin, uh, maybe not those <laughs> rock, paper, scissors... But some sort of deciding how to go first device. It's interesting that you said that because people have said that the Wizards match slip reporter should just tell people who is going first. And that's fine for, for sanctioned events. But if you're playing on your kitchen table or you're playing at your friend's house, you're still going to need to decide who goes first. And cutting to the bottom card of your library isn't ideal either. So I would, uh, that, that's what I would say is, is some way to decide who goes first. Yeah, I remember that. Always just kind of cutting to a random card and then just like yep. being like, what's the CMC? And it's just like, well, you're kind of also revealing a card. You're revealing information. <laughs> yeah. Control decks are a little bit of a disadvantage because they play more lands. Uh, aggro decks are at a disadvantage because they have lower average casting costs. It's, it's just a very weird game. Yeah, it is very weird. Hmm, okay, yeah, that's definitely something to think about. Okay, rapid fire question number four. Ruben, what do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? Well, we touched on it a little bit earlier with the, the media discussion, but I certainly hope that it expands even further out. The, the orbit keeps going further out and bringing more people into the game. 
Um, Dungeons and Dragons has done a great job of capturing the hearts and minds of general people. Uh, and, and people just play Dungeons and Dragons with their friends, even if they didn't know about it before. Uh, and, and that's sort of been a bridge that was difficult to cross, but they finally got. I think that that's where magic needs to head. Hopefully we can get something like a Netflix or a Hulu series, some sort of graphic novel with, with a famous graphic novelist or something along those lines. Uh, Arena is a great start. Our YouTube channels and podcasts and streams are a great start, but that doesn't have the big reach that some other types of media have. And so I would certainly love to see that kind of thing. Yeah, in my interview with Brian David Marshall, he's such a veteran of the comics and media industry. He said that he, he didn't like the idea of a magic movie. You know, we've all been just so high on this magic movie. And he's like, you know what, that's just like, really take it back, right? Really, there needs to be some kind of an animated Netflix series or just a Netflix yes. series. It just, you know, this whole like crawl, walk, run kind of a thing, right? You know, so I mean, uh, World of Warcraft, like Warcraft, they had their movie, which was like awesome. It was fine, but it wasn't like mind blowing yeah, or anything fine. like that. But yeah, I feel like, you know, magic is perfect for that kind of like sweet uh, series. And that's the other, another reason why I'm really excited for The Broken Pack. Not only because I'm a part of it, but because I've been wanting this kind of content for so long. This is the closest that magic has gotten to that in its history thus far is, is, is me telling that story, which is great. And I think I'm going to do okay at it, but certainly having Avatar the Last Airbender, but for magic would be very cool to be able to build out the world and show all of these extra things and have all of that content. By the time the first season of The Broken Pact ends, there will be 30 hours of television that takes place in Ravnica, which will be 30 more hours of fiction written by yours truly than has ever existed before. But I don't want to be the only flag bearer for that. I want there to be more. I want there to be money behind it in the Netflix or the Amazon series. I want there to be a Nickelodeon original. I want there to be a, sh a, a comic series from Dark Horse or something along those lines to be able to further explore, see other people's visions. You know, one of the reasons why people love Superman so much isn't because of the character. It's because of everyone's interpretations of the character. Same with all of the comic books is what's your interpretation of Batman? What's your interpretation of Iron Man or the Joker or any of these other resonant heroes and villains? What's your interpretation of Ravnica? You out there listening right now. If you are a writer, if you are a dungeon master, if you are someone who wants to create a podcast or a graphic novel or a coloring book or anything that is creative in that sphere, it's not going to be the same as mine. And so that's what I want. I want to see other creators building out the world because Ravnica doesn't belong to Wizards of the Coast. It belongs to the people who play it. Ravnica means something different to everyone else, to everyone who interacts with it. And I'm very excited for a whole new audience to get integrated and introduced to the world of Ravnica. It's interesting that you say that Ravnica doesn't belong to Wizards of the Coast. It sort of does. <laughs> but I mean, it sort of does. <laughs> from an IP standpoint, but do you feel... Feel. I mean, I mean, but I let me tell, let me say it. Let me let me put it this way. I'm writing the story that I'm the, of the broken pact. It's me. It's me and, and the folks that I'm writing with. I don't have D&D breathing down my neck. I don't have magic breathing down my neck to direct where the story goes. So Magic the Gathering is hiring out these outside writers to do the magic story. You know, Martha Wells doing the Dominaria story, for example. There's plenty of room. It's interesting that the point that you made, do you feel that wizards should uh, give the outside world more agency over how that goes? Or do you feel like wizards doesn't have an incentive to say that, doesn't need to say that? It's the community, it's the fan, it's the creators who's supposed to just take that and run with it. Um, that's a tough question. I think that it's a little bit of both. I think that there is some impetus for Wizards of the Coast to support the community that has sprung up around its game. Uh, to show the appreciation thereof. But by the same token, you know, if you want to create something beautiful, go out and create it yourself if you don't see it in the world. That's what I've always done. That's what you're doing here with this show. That's what all, all of us creative types do is this needs to be made. No one has made it. I am now going to make it, whether that's painting, whether that's comedy, whether that's video and film whether that's drawing, cosplay, any of that. And all of those types of media can be freeing and can be different and can be your interpretation of, well, this is what I think 
Vraska looks like. Well, this is what I think Vraska acts like. This is what I think Vraska would say, depending on which type of media you're using. And I think there is some impetus on Wizards of the Coast to boost those people up and to also sometimes create. I mean, it's not like I'm going to go to Netflix and pitch the series. Like, that's not me. That's that's something that someone above my pay grade is going to have to do and probably someone who's at Wizards of the Coast would have to do at some point. And so that's that's a lot tougher to to thread that needle. Do I think that they are missing anything? Do I think that Wizards of the Coast is dropping the ball in any sense? I don't think so. I think that it's a slow process and Wizards of the Coast is a subsidiary of Hasbro and they're Goliath. They're big and slow. Hopefully, if they haven't started moving on it already, they will soon. And last, Ruben, is there any asks or requests that you have for the listening audience, like where they can find you on social media? Sure. Well, you can find me on social media at M-O-X-R-E-U-B-Y. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Snapchat, uh, all of those places, any place social that tells people you exist. You can also find me on the Magic Mike's podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at M-A-G-I-C-M-I-C-S-C-A-S-T. Or you can join us at twitch.tv slash Magic Mike's every Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. That's 5 p.m. Hawaiian. You can join us on our Reddit, on our Facebook, on our Twitter. Uh, We also have a Patreon. Uh, If you go to patreon.com and search for Magic Mike's, you'll be able to find us there where you can get that juicy, not safe for work content that we were talking about (laughs) earlier. And me personally, I would appreciate it if you would join me this weekend for Ravnica the Broken Pact which premieres this sat I can't believe it. I, this is just a dream come true. I've been accidentally training my entire life for this <laughs> position, and it's finally here. Um, and I, 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 it's, it's amazing. I, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited for me, and I'm so excited for the world to see, hopefully, and enjoy what I've built and what we can build together. If I could ask anything, there are so many creators out there. There are so many people who want to get started. And the toughest part of being any creator is getting started. Kenji Egashira, Numat the Nummy, is a really good example of this. He decided one day that he was going to stream Magic the Gathering every day for a year when he first got started. And he only started with like 20, 30 viewers when he first got started. And about four months in, he only had a couple hundred viewers, maybe 300, 400 viewers, which is a lot. But, you know, you can get, you can lose faith. A year in, and he was Magic the Gathering's most popular streamer. Not everyone has a success story like Numat. Not everyone has a success story immediately. Like, no, not everybody gets lucky like I do uh, and gets spotted by Evan Irwin out of mediocrity and and uh, the middle of the middle of the YouTubes. But go out there and find a streamer who's got thirty viewers. Go out there and find a podcast that doesn't have half a million downloads. Go find uh, a YouTube channel that's just starting up and only has has less than a thousand views on their videos. Go find somebody playing Arena who wants to try to make the content that you feel the passion from. Go find articles written by people that you might not have heard of, but you know what? They're putting the work in every week. Go find those small blogs that were written by people like Tom Lapilli and Gavin Verhey, who eventually got spotted by the Star City Games and the Channel Fireballs and the, and the Cool Stuff Inks of the World, and then worked their way up into Wizards of the Coast and to bigger and better things. Go find small content creators and support their work. That's all. Ruben, thank you so much for being on the show. I will have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. I wanted to thank you again. And I also want to just really express to you my appreciation for who you are as a person. You are such a friend to the magic community. You are such a friend to all these different magic players. And you really care about making the magic community a better place. I very much appreciate everything you said, everything that you do, and also what you do when you're out and about in the community, what you do on social media, the content that you make, the kind of content that you make, the kind of like the voice that you give to certain issues and the way you explain things and you and you want everyone to be happy and enjoy things and be better off. And also the energy that you give when you're at an event, like at a GP, if you're playing in like spell singing or like doing cool stuff like Bore the Weatherlight and like also doing cool stuff like the Broken Pact. So all... Well, of- <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> all of that stuff. It really means a lot because what you're doing is that you are making magic a more welcoming and warm place and you're bringing joy to so many people and you're inspiring so many people. So thank you so much, Ruben. I am so excited for your show next week, The Broken Pack. I will have links in the show notes and I will encourage everyone to watch it. So thank you so much, Ruben, for being here. Thank you. And again, it's just a thrill to be here with you on the show. 
Ruben has always been very encouraging of other content creators in the community. If you're thinking about becoming a creator, or would just like to engage more with the Magic community, Ruben is a great person to talk to. You can find him on Twitter at MoxRuby. That's M-O-X-R-E-U-B-Y. I hope you check out The Broken Pact at twitch.tv slash dnd premiering this Saturday, October 13th at 1pm Pacific Time. Our friends Ashlyn Rose, Jordan Pridgen, Riley Silverman, and Gaurav Galati will be embarking on that new adventure with Ruben. Again, that's this Saturday, October 13th at twitch.tv slash dnd. I'll have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. You can follow Kitchen Table Magic on Twitter at KTM Podcast. As always, I'm your host. I'm on Twitter at Samo Tango. Kitchen Table Magic is now on Spotify, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. And if you'd like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic. I would like to take a moment to thank all of our Patreon supporters, Brian, Marcus, James L., Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Neil, Aaron C., Corey, Chad, Logan S., Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Garide, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, Carl, Yana, David, and Matthew. I really appreciate all of our supporters of the show, past, present, and future. Your kind words on social media, likes, follows, shares, and reviews on Apple Podcasts help new listeners find the show. I also really appreciate everyone who's telling their friends to listen to Kitchen Table Magic as well. Thank you so much for your support. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Over the years, it's, it's definitely changed. You kind of figure out what works best for you, depending on like your system and your timeline. For me personally, when it comes to making a new cosplay, the first thing I like to do is I look at the art and I list out all the pieces that I'll need to make. So it's like bracer, wig, details for the bracer, patterns for the, the top and everything. So I go through, list all that out, and then I go through it and list out the materials I'll need for each of those. Usually with magic cosplays, you don't get a full body 3D reference image of like what the costume looks like. So you don't know what the back looks like, or maybe you don't know what the legs look like. You know, like what are they wearing on their feet? If it's like something that's from a time period, like Amonkhet, I can look up like the normal Egyptian garb and do a little bit of history diving to see like what people from that time period actually wore and from that region and culture. So that's like a fun little rabbit hole you can go down to for like hours upon days. I'm talking to cosplayer, streamer, voice actress, and magic personality, Ashlyn Rose. Ashlyn has delighted the magic community with her work as Bloodbraid Elf, Tiana, Nissa, Freilis, Nahiri, and Admiral Beckett Brass. Ashlyn can be spotted at many GPs connecting with fans and spellslinging. Ashlyn also streams with the Viper Brood on Twitch, and also as part of the cast on the new D&D magic crossover show, The Broken Pact. I hope you'll tune in to my interview with Ashlyn Rose, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.